welcome to stat. I'm telling you all. Medical true crime stories. The nigga's bizarre. Karen Wickham. Yeah, she used to work in the R. And now she's sharing the knowledge. So let's get involved. Hey, funny and scary at the same time. Medical mysteries. All facts. She ain't lying. <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare. Cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And I am your host, Karen Wickham, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Canada, Canada. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, I'm not alone today. I have the lovely Miss Heather right here with me. Hello, Heather. Hello. Nice <laughs> to be back. Hello. <laughs> Hello. What has it I'm go? cold. <laughs> Twiddly D potato. <laughs> potato, potato. Potato. Um, so yeah, we have Heather back uh, again, and we're going to go over the psychology or the, the psychiatric background or psychopathy of another serial killer. And this one will be Harold Shipman. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's get started into uh, this dude, Harold Shipman. I know... Most of you have already listened to the um, the series, but it, let's do a review about this guy. Um, so he's a British serial killer. He worked in England as a as a doctor, and he attended Leeds Medical School, and he began working as an, a physician in 1970. Um, between 1970 and his arrest in 98, he killed approximately 215 of his patients, but. The number is believed to be well beyond that. I mean, up to 260, but I mean, he killed over 500, close to 600 of his patients um, died, which is way, way more than any other doctor would have in a general practice. You're not a specialist. Yeah. And that, I mean, I know you literally just got started, but that was something that was so alarming to me. Like, I mean, I get that that a lot of physicians will have tons and tons of patients over their career but I just felt like his patients he had so so many and it was just like I feel like that would have been a red flag because he just like rolled through them so fast oh and yeah it was like never really substantiating like any type of connection or relationship with them for any long period of time like for instance myself I've been with the same family practitioner since I was 12 I'm 31 mm-hmm. like it's <laughs> I mean, I just feel like all of his just went so fast, obviously, Mm -hmm. because a lot of them died due to him. But for sure. like I mean, if you're working in a specialty like ICU, ER, um, you say cardiac, uh, palliative care, you're going to have a you're going to see a lot of deaths. Just it's Mm -hmm. it's part and parcel with that, but not a GP. Right. Yeah. Like it just especially one that would do house visits and stuff like that. You know, that means that those people are still in their homes and doing okay. So, right. yeah. So this this dude uh, was uh, was a horrible person, <laughs> to say the least. Um, a little part, bit, How yeah. he killed them was with... <laughs> that was like understatement. He was horrible. He was like kind of not great. <laughs> yeah, he was just a little... I don't know. Um, so he would inject these his patients with... Um, or his victims with lethal doses of Demerol, which is a painkiller... And another one, which is, it's, it's diamorphine, which is also known as, well, heroin, um, on the streets, but, uh, yeah. you know, it's, I... it's, it's a drug that can, can be prescribed and used, or at least it used to be because it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't, it's kind of like the, the fentanyl, you know, or the oxy of, of now. Yeah. So that, that was actually my question to you since you have been in, in, you know, healthcare and stuff. So when I read that, I was like, heroin? Why was this old lady on heroin? Like, what? And I started digging a little bit deeper and then it said diamorphine. I was like, I did not know that that was the same thing. But I do know that like when people are coming off of uh, like certain drugs and they're in like rehab, they are given very, very strong doses of other drugs. Like, um, like amphetamines, when they're coming off of amphetamines, they're put on something. I, I don't yeah, know why it's yeah. slipping my mind right now. But I was like, is that what this is? Is that like kind of what this started as? Well, I mean, um, any of your like codeine, morphine, those kind of things, right? The, they're all yeah. opiates. And some mm-hmm. are um, uh, man-made. 
in yes. some Synthetic. are like straight from from the real deal. So, you know, morphine's got you know, I mean, morphine kind of when it hits your system sort of has the same uh, effect as heroin, and that's okay. why it's so addictive. But um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's uh, you can it just gives an idea of how strong the medication he was given. So let's get. Yeah, I was back. blown away with that. Yeah, because the daughter was like heroin. My mom didn't do drugs, and I'm like, no shit. Like she was like eighty something. Like why was she on heroin? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's crazy. So um, weird. So going back to his childhood, I I love covering the childhood of these of these monsters because yes. I think there's so much revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever like, can we ever catch this? Because so much, I mean. We're going to get into this nature versus narcissism. By the way, that's the name of Heather's show. <laughs> One of small her plug. Podcasts. <laughs> a small plug. Um, okay, so he was born in uh, January 14th, 1946 in Nottingham, England. He was a middle, middle child. His family was considered uh, middle class. I believe his dad was like, um, like, I forget what they called a lorry driver, which is kind of like... Um, like a like truck a, driver. Like a truck driver, yeah. yeah. And his father really didn't have a lot to do with the family. His mother, Vera... Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> was um, a very domineering woman. And she... Uh, her, Harold was her everything. Um, and she instilled in him a sense of superiority, which in turn tainted most of his relationships later on. So he walked around thinking he was, like, the best of the best of the best. And can you imagine how his brothers and sisters felt? Like, you don't hear much about them, but they didn't turn into no. serial killers, that's for sure. Right. And I'm just wondering, like, if we're going by statistics, should I be looking out for my siblings? Maybe. I mean, I have two younger sisters and one older brother. Maybe. Are you the serial killer, though? No. You have the education to know. But here's the thing. The one that usually researches everything usually isn't the one who's doing it. Yeah, that's true. So I'm I'm, I'm clear, sort of, right? Shh, shh, don't I'm cleared. <laughs> I'm totally different from everyone in my family. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, okay. So she just piled, like, every bit of her, her love and adoration on top of this guy and basically told him his poop don't stink. And he just developed this... Um, attitude of superiority right from the very beginning but you know she did do some weird stuff that I think that might have been um okay for instance his brothers and sisters would just like wear regular clothes but she dressed him up in like little jackets ties and short pants like the you know with the socks up to his his knees and the shoes so he looked like really weird compared to the to other kids right he was like this little right. little jeeves walking around he was kind of like a um benjamin button type like he yeah. was like the grown-up man in a tiny little kid body. exactly but you know so i'm sure he was made fun of for that so um and maybe that just gave him a, another whole sense of um of you know, either that you know, like humiliation, but also feeling this the superiority, like they just don't get it. I don't know, but uh, yeah. So yeah, she had a she was a domineering uh, woman that neglected her other kids and and just uh, you know piled it all onto him. So later on in in the year, she was diagnosed with lung cancer, and um, her she got so sick that she uh, she stayed she was in her home and her doctor would come do visits and give her morphine injections for the pain and sometimes there would be a long period of time in between when she could get the injections so she'd be in a ton of pain and then it was where the doctor would come it would wear off she'd have to wait a bit longer the doctor would come and give it again so I think Harold saw the power in that right that Mm -hmm. do you take someone who's suffering relieve it suffering relieve it like so, he had like this and we'll get into it later like this god complex like yeah he saw that this doctor was able to basically turn everything on its head like 180 everything she was feeling yeah exactly um and so she eventually passed away in 1963 and um so yeah that, that was sort of uh the the events that led to it so he was got over um attention from his mother she gets cancer she gets sick 
he is at her bedside like he would come home at lunchtime and stuff like that or rush home after school to take care of her and be at her bedside so in one sense it sounds like he's a real um good doting son but another sense it's like hmm that's a little weird that he would you know um want to be there for when the doctors were giving the injections i don't know we can look at that at different ways he uh so he took his mother's death very hard and um and then he decided like i'm gonna go to medical school and yeah, you know, he didn't really show any signs that he wanted to do that before, but um, you know, all of a sudden he wants to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Now, also too in this time, like when his mother died, he said nothing to anybody, and it was until like a week or two later where his friends were like, "I heard your mom died." It's like, yeah, like it just what? like no, it, his reaction. People like they've people have talked to his friends and said like they were it was just so strange that he had this reaction the other thing he started to do at the time was run he was he would run just i don't know a couple kilometers a day he just got into running hardcore i could see that a yeah. way to cope and try to get things off yeah. your mind but the whole thing that nobody knew like i didn't i didn't see that part and that's yeah. really interesting to me because was this cuz for him to be so close to her yeah. and be doing all that stuff and then not express that to anybody, it's just kind of odd to me. Well, yeah, it's like this turning on and off of emotion and yeah. keeping things yeah. like to the chest. So again, he's still young then, so we don't know, you know, maybe it will reveal itself yeah. later on. But um, so he, he was a loner. Um, and when he went off to medical, I mean, when he went, when he was, okay, let's just back that up. <laughs> While he was in grade school, in high school, or in grade school, he wasn't that great of a student. Mm-hmm. Um, he just barely scraped by. And then when he got into high school, um, his grades still weren't all that much better, but he became a rugby player. And he was like the captain of his team. So he became... Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and there's a case that I'm covering right now where it's another English doctor who mimics this guy. Not mimics. They are the almost to the exact same. Um, I'm covering Andrew Wakefield, the anti-vaxxer mm-hmm. guy. Um yeah. Oh. Yeah. None I've of you know that. I've never heard anybody know now. cover that. So we'll have to go over to that together because they're almost exact the same. The same. Oh, Except for, that's you know, Wakefield didn't directly kill anybody. Um, okay. So, so he rug, rugby player, and then he was like, you know, considered a, sort of a handsome dude and all that kind of stuff. But he. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, who they call <laughs> handsome? I've never get. I don't. I don't understand. That I'm like, handsome head camper. I must camper. like trolls or something. <laughs> that that gorgeous uh, what's Ted his name? Bundy. Ted Bundy. Oh, <laughs> they're all gross. We can get into that in another episode. But yeah, well, I don't know. Looking. I think people are trying to like. I mean, there's this fascination with uh, you know serial killers and and then like you know they're trying. I don't know. There's just hero worship for some of them. We're just trying to figure yeah. out these sick fox out. And everybody's yeah. like, ooh, he's so handsome. They're like fawning over them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, in high school, he started to do really well uh, in terms of um, popularity in high school and then into college. He was this rugby guy and people fawned all over him. But he didn't have a girlfriend. He, uh, His friends were very distant. He was a very cold kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So, while in college, university... He, again, just barely scraped by with his marks, but managed to um, to pass. And he, during this time, met Primrose. <laughs> Such a crazy name. I love name. that name. What? That's so, that name is so pretty. You think so? I just think it I've sounds like a stuffy a person, little English girl. Primrose. I, I've never heard a person be called that. Like, I've seen street names, and yeah. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a pretty flower. Yeah. But- well, primno- Primrose turned out to be not all that pretty of a flower because she turned out to be kind of, uh, well, you'll hear. Okay, so um, Shipman was 18. She was 17. They met on a bus one day and then they kept seeing each other on the bus. One thing led to another. Uh, she got pregnant. They got married. And he he resented that, though, because, you know, he wanted to, he wasn't exactly pleased that she um was pregnant so he married her i don't think he ever loved her because i think in developing this sort of persona of i'm a doctor a doctor needs to be married especially back in those days like it was a sort of a thing that doctors lawyers more professionals didn't really get jobs or do that well if they didn't have that family they didn't they weren't seen as being having that stability so you know he gets married 
they, they end up with two children and um, they seem to be doing okay. But during this time while he was doing his um, a residency, he gets hooked on, on Demerol and he becomes quite um, addicted to it to the point where he started having seizures. And I think the reason why he was having seizures is that he was, he was detoxing, um, you know, from it. Uh, so then, uh, so he was able to, like most do people in residency, doctors in residency, you think, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to watch this guy really closely and his, his, his license, everything was removed from him, but it was reinstated. So back then that was kind of unusual nowadays. If, I mean, it's considered if you're have an addiction to get, to have help given. So mm -hmm. especially in healthcare, if a, if a nurse or doctor be, becomes addicted to a drug, at least I can speak for here in Canada, they're sent, paid by the the hospital uh, through their insurance oh. to go rehab. And then they're slowly, and you know, the, the College of Nurses, College of Physicians are involved, and they're slowly um, introduced back to work into uh, not in areas that don't have as much access to, to drugs. So they're able to resume their career, watched closely, and... And stuff like that. But I think in so, those days to be busted as a doctor for being an addict and being allowed to come back, I think that speaks of his ability to lie and charm his way into things. I was just going to say his manipulation skills because and then how you said that the seizures part may have been, you know, partially due to uh, basically detoxing that. So when I first started looking into this and looking things up about him, I was very confused on that line because I I thought that he became addicted to it and he was just constantly using it. And then his health started to decline and started getting seizures. But I didn't realize, I didn't put two and two together. I thought maybe he didn't yeah. detox until he went away to rehab. No, I, I think you're right on both those accounts. His health was declining okay. and he was an addict. <clears throat> and you have to take more and more and more to keep up with it, right? And the period right, of time okay. that you have to take it is shorter and shorter. So right. I, so you're just driving to get that drug more and more and more. You hear um, addicts where, you know, they might, I'm going to use heroin as an example because we already talked about it. So they might have a shot of heroin maybe once or twice a day when they first out. And now they're needing to do it like every couple of hours with higher doses. Mm -hmm. So mm. Um, it's having access to that medication to be able to do it, right? Right. Um, and yeah, and I'm wondering if uh, him being addicted to Demerol, knowing how the same family of drugs affected his mother, mm -hmm. I wonder how that relates because I'm thinking, did he see the stress taken off of her and how it affected her mood that he wanted that stress off of him and why did he feel that stress and so let's right. we're going to be talking later on what his psychopathy is so mm -hmm. i'm just going to leave that as a little uh uh what do you call it um cliffhanger cliffhanger yeah uh <laughs> sticky note a little sticky note. <laughs> we'll get back to that um so he was i'm gonna have to use that later <laughs> yeah a little sticky note i'm um, gonna leave that sticky note for later. yeah <laughs> Um, so he was, uh, he was diagnosed with having depression. I don't know this, whatever he, that he had depression, the seizures yeah. were after treatment. So he might've been making that up as well. If, if maybe yeah. not getting, maybe he didn't have seizures and he was looking for an excuse to be like, I needed it to help keep me under control. So who knows really what caused them. And mm -hmm. then he was released, but then because of the addiction, he had to face a criminal charges. So he was convicted on eight charges and of course forging prescriptions because that's what he was doing, writing his own uh, prescriptions to, uh, you know, get his drugs. I um, often wonder how many doctors do that. Like, I, I feel like it's way more commonplace than we even realize. You can only write so many to yourself, but you can... But what if you're friends with doctors they could write them for you and you write them for them you can go on and on and on exactly oh you can God. write them for a whole bunch of people you can pay people to go do them for you so write oh. them to say let's get, look at 10 different people i'll give you uh i'll give you 50 bucks for each prescription that you um get for me and then they come back with wow. you know 300 pills and uh it's only and it's cost you a lot but you're a doctor so you can afford it right so so dangerous yeah yeah so so he lost his license was suspended but it was reinstated uh, eventually 
and he um, he started back up again. He was seeking out to get employment, and he found that there was a medical center. Uh, it's called the Donnybrook Medical Center, and he was hired. This was in 1977. But, of course, he didn't tell anybody about his depression and addiction issues, but you're supposed to. You, you mm-hmm. need to, to let them know that, but, you know, he didn't. And he was not very well liked there. And this is when you really start to hear more about his personality. So being cold and aloof and arrogant superior attitude, he kind of always had that, but you didn't hear a lot of it because people didn't really get to know him. But with mm-hmm. people that were working side by side with him, uh, he was just described in all those things. Like he was just, you know, arrogant and condescending, aggressive, abrasive. Um, and he would try to make it look like he was working hard when he really wasn't working all that hard at all. He, you know, he was able to do max things with minimal effort, right? Mm-hmm. And he could talk his way around shit. Um, but his patients seemed to love him. And I don't know why. Because I think he... Because he was manipulative. He had this I think obviously he, I, old school doctor charm that people still really needed, right? Yeah. And uh, he was like, I always think of like two-faced I guess is the easiest most lay way to put it like I'm arrogant to the people that I work with because I'm better than them but I'm so nice and charming to my patients because I need them to trust me so that I can do what I want and it's just like two different people exactly and the fact that he was able to uh, um able to split himself like that speaks a lot speaks a lot that he knew what he was doing so his patients loved him. They saw him as a good old timey doctor, you know, that that gave them excellent care. And, you know, I don't know if it's so much now, but for the longest times, people needed to felt that they could trust their doctor. Like they wanted mm-hmm. a confident doctor that was almost like um, arm's length from them in a sense, because that gave that confidence and, you know, uh, intelligence and all that kind of stuff. So he kind of I think a part of that personality came across too. It's like, oh, he's a strong male physician and he, you know, he knows how to handle things. So, so much is let go and overlooked with, with, with doctors. Cause even still doctors to this day are, they, some of them, some of them have God complexes, not, I'm not saying mm-hmm. all of them or even near all of them, but, uh, and some patients will just do whatever the doctor says and not question yeah. it, not say, hmm, I want a second opinion or, or they'll just say, oh, the doctor said so. Well, what have you done since then? Like, if you had follow-up, this, that, or whatever. And well, no. Well, and and that's not... Who's, whose fault is that? I don't know. But there's still this, this so much trust put into doctors. And there should be. Just that not all, in general, in the world as a whole, not all people are trustworthy. <laughs> and if you can right, apply that needs... to general population, yeah. not everybody's trustworthy. So why would every doctor be trustworthy? And there Why would every be... nurse be a checks and balances thing and we're seeing yeah. this right now in society as a whole not even just in the u.s but um with with police officers and law yeah. enforcement i mean there there needs to be a line a checks and balance because you know what any person can become a police officer so therefore any person can have bad you know intentions it's not yeah. just because you're a police officer you're an awesome person yeah, Granted, exactly. there are a ton of good ones, just like oh, there yeah. are a ton of good doctors. But when you see the bad apples, I mean, it, it's forefront, you know? Yeah, and their damage goes deep and it goes yes. far. It, it's reaches far because the uh, because they are in a position of, um, of trust. They can yep. get into things and cover things up way more than the average the average person. So, yeah. It's scary. It is scary. So he left the group practice in 92 and he started his own. And what's interesting is he started it across the street from them. Okay. he took, I didn't realize it was that close. <laughs> yeah. He started across the street and he had all this debt tied in with the company and taxes owed. And he walked yeah. away from it. He left them with wow. all of it. And they tried to go after him and he just he threatened them and they just kind of went, you know what? It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. So he got away without having to pay any taxes or, or he just kind of screwed the company that he left. So he just had all of these smaller, I mean, granted it's not technically a small crime, but like all of these smaller crimes happening in the background 
behind all these murders. Oh, he was like, always working just, it, right? Like he was always yeah. trying to to get, like I said, uh, maximum uh, amount for least. Uh, he was always conniving and and, and doing mm-hmm. that stuff. And he took a shit ton of those patients with him to his uh, practice across the street. And mm-hmm. so, I mean. That goes to show you the kind of person he is, that he boldly is across the street. He can see where his old practice was. His patients are coming to him, and it's kind of like, ha, you know, and ha, ha, fuck you. Or the Simpsons. I won. Ha, ha, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and I believe he called it, like, the doctor's office. Or so... It was so like, original. Or Doctor, oh God, why don't I, why can't I remember? It was given a name where it was like, this is the place to go. This is the oh, doctor's clinic. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that that arrogance is everything else is, is secondary to my office. Anyway, okay, so he had his own practice, and at at one point he had up to three thousand patients. How do you see three thousand patients? And I mean, how do you care for 3,000 patients well? You don't. You don't. And the majority of his patients were elderly or had some kind of, um, you know, underlying like mental health issue, that kind of stuff that sort of kept them at home. Mm -hmm. He started, he was seeing his patients at home. He was doing house visits. And that was the thing that people really loved about him is that he would go see them at home. But there, of course, there was a method behind his madness for why he did that. And a lot of the patients that saw him in his clinic, he would have a completely different personality. He'd be a bit of a dick there, but then he'd come to their house and he'd be like more, you know, gentle and that kind of stuff. So weird. he was starting, so patients of his started dropping off like flies. And um, so what what happens when your patient dies is that you can call, you write off that uh, the the death and the cause of death, that you pronounce the death and the cause of death, then you have to have it co-signed by another physician. And then you can determine uh, whether it's going to be a burial or a cremation. Now, it's supposed to be discussed with the family. And they'll say, you know, I really, I want this or that. Well, he was writing them all off as cremations because he wanted to mm-hmm. cover up his evidence. So this one um, funeral home was really starting to notice that why is there so many patients and why are so many cremated and then the doctor that was co-signing a lot of his patients started to go uh this didn't make really any sense so then this physician in this funeral home uh started to talk to each other and go wait a minute something is up here and they were trying to move it up, take it up higher to have people look into it, but nothing came of it really. Um, and, and, you know, after the fact, they go, oh, okay, yeah, we see all this. But like every, like a lot of things in medicine, you know, it's covered up or people just don't want to, they don't want to deal. Like you look, we, we just yeah. covered the, the Gosnell case where people just don't want to touch it. Oh, it's, it's, and you don't want to yeah. piss off each other as doctors because you don't want to alienate each other. And it can be very incestuous that way. So mm-hmm. he started, so they were noticing what he was doing. And of course, his patients were dying and many of them were elderly, but they weren't actively dying. They were elderly. And so he would come to see them. And when they passed, he had either just left there, just gave them like a vitamin shot or whatever, and vitamin, the fam- yeah. yeah the, the the family would come home and find them posed so they would either be on a i don't know a settee a lounger whatever they're called <laughs> but a they would, they a would be, chaise yeah a chaise or in their bed and they would have like they'd be in a clean dressing gown and they'd be maybe have a book on their lap or or something but they were definitely posed in this sort of mm-hmm beautific almost looking calm way yeah like they were just relaxing and oopsie they died yeah (laughs) and and he would say that and also too that they were very sick they had uh pneumonia this and that but they'd go into the house and it would be perfect so someone who's dying of pneumonia doesn't um would have kleenexes at their bedside maybe a cup of tea uh maybe not made their bed you'd you know maybe something on the counter but no the house would be perfect so there was really no sign of them having any um, acute illness or long-term illness. Now, the other thing he did was that 
Okay. He wasn't supposed to have any access to um, narcotics. But he somehow was able to finagle in getting them by saying that the patients he was taking care of in the home were palliative care patients and he needed the drugs to get it. Now, what he would do is he would order so much for each person. So patient A, we're going to need, I'm going to just put it down into easy things. We're going to need 10 syringes of morphine. That's usually ampules, all that kind of stuff, but I'm just going to make it easy to follow. So 10 syringes of ampule. Patient B needs eight. Patient C needs 12. And you know what? So he'd, he'd be able to get these all pre-ordered. So he uh -huh. had them and he could stockpile them up. So by having all of those, he was able to kill people because he was stockpiling the medication or he was able to give them so much that they became bedridden. Okay. Or they became Jeez. sick, low blood pressures, uh, respiratory problems, all related to the drugs that he was giving them. So he, not only did he get his hands on them, he was able to pre-order and stockpile them. So when he walked around with his little case, literally it, it was full of, of drugs. And mm. so that's how he was killing his patients. And it's funny how he was busted in the long run was from, his own fault. <laughs> was his own fault, his own negligence. And it came down to money. And I hate when money at the end of the day is what causes murders to finally be, oh, no, well, it's involving money now. <laughs> you know, we, we need to look into this. So, so sick. Yeah, so for him, this one patient, uh, Kathleen Grundy, she was young. I mean, not young. <laughs> she was young and vibrant. Oh and my God, she was she was twenty two, and no. <laughs> so the one patient that got him busted was Kathleen Grundy. She was uh, eighty one, but she was full of health and energy, and she worked at a kind of like a soup kitchen kind of place, and um, she was just doing absolutely fine, and uh, she died. Her daughter, however, was a lawyer and she was also in charge of her um, estate. So she died. Her daughter was really surprised by it. Shipman wanted to do a um, cremation. The daughter's like, no, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Then the daughter gets a, a letter in the mail from insurance saying that she, the mom, um, signed over everything to him. And mm. she's like, mm, nope, that didn't pass by me and I'm the executor, so that doesn't seem possible. Mm. Looking at the letter, <laughs> there was so many friggin' typos and, um, and even how it was written. She's like, first of all, my mother had beautiful cursive writing. She would never have typed it. Mm -hmm. Number two she would never have worded it like this because at the end of it, he's, they wrote, um, like, okay, here, I, here it is. Um, I give all my estate money and house to my doctor. My family are not in need and I want to reward him for all the care he has given to me and the people of Hyde. So he's writing his <laughs> own, like, look how fucking amazing I am. Like clearly he's, he's saying I deserve it because I'm amazing. Yeah. So he gives his own, like he toots his own horn while he's yep. writing this. And it's like, you stupid ass. So his fingerprints were on it. And not only that, his typewriter where there were, the letters were missing or he used his own typewriter, didn't get rid of his typewriter. And the typewriter <laughs> there was in such bad shape that it showed up, you know, with a, a partial C or do you know what I mean? Or a missing yeah. that there. So, I mean, it, it, it he busted himself. Yeah. But you know how he got it co-signed? So he convinced her that the paperwork was for something else entirely yeah i think it was for a survey right yes like an elderly old age survey type, exactly uh, aging survey i think is what they called it yeah and then he had <laughs> a young couple in the waiting room that were coming in with their child and he said hey w will you sign this for me um it's sort of a release of information or something so he had it co-signed by a young couple who had no idea what it was. And that's why it was able to go through. And then they found oh out later God. that that actual signature and see that there's the trust in the physician. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, long and short of it is he got busted through that. They, um, they uncovered all his, his mess and bodies were exhumed. Um, 
through a lot of friggin I mean, that's hard to get a body exhume, obviously, for the just the emo mental and emotional effect that it has on the family. Um, and so uh, many of them were exhumed. Um, ones that they were able to trace, they could. Uh, of course, they just went deep and deep and deep into um, in investigating and they, they pulled all the, the stuff together that they were able to get. Um, and he, he slowly near the end was making a lot of mistakes. Like a couple of his patients died in his office. And like really? one, yeah, like one, so one patient was a patient that pissed him off. Like he <sighs> couldn't stand her. <laughs> okay. She was one of those patients that's at the doctor every week, you know, has a lot of, you know, complaints, really a, lo a lonely person looking for attention. You know, at the end of the day, it's annoying, uh, say, but that's the worst of it. And so she came in and with various aches and pains and the nurse went in to do an initial assessment on her and then he saw her and then when the nurse went back in 10 minutes later she was dead see and that's that's a red flag guys because uh you go to your gp general practitioner family practitioner whatever it's called where you live and normally you just you don't die there normally you just go there to get a checkup get your little flu shot get no you don't fucking, die in the general you like, know the the turn and cough whatever but <laughs> like unless someone's going die. in you know because they were having say a history of chest pain shows up is actively having a heart attack and right. even then you know but yeah so uh, two patients like that died in his in his office and other yeah. times too like he had been careless and or because was he careless or was he not but he had left syringes at bedsides of people in hospitals and stuff like that but he also knew who to kill People that already had heart problems, lung problems, you know, all, mm -hmm. all these other things. And that these these drugs suppress the, the, the you know, the, your, the center of your brain for breathing and heart rate. So he knew exactly what to do and how to give it and who to kill. So, and then when he was out of the hospital, he just, you know, started experimenting how to get away with it in, in the homes. And he just was able to cover it up and um, fool people until he couldn't. So, um, so he basically, he was arrested, mm -hmm. brought to jail, um, and tried and he was put away for life. And in England, that is unheard of. Right. And this was for only 15 patients though, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah There's only 15 out of at least we could say 200. Yeah. Well, we know it's way long, more than that, but only 15. Mm -hmm. And I guess, like anything, they figure we can get them on these. Yeah. You know, and how many families are just like, feel... Oh, God, hundreds. And they feel completely unvindicated. Not not vindicated, yeah. because... they Why? Because, well, you know, in one sense, it's like, well, we can get them on these. Mm -hmm. um, but we can't on these. So let's just do these ones. But I can see, I can understand the sorrow and the anger from the family saying, well, what about us? But uh, yeah, and I think about that every time I talk about a serial killer, because it's like, oh, they got life in prison for this one. This is the one we had the evidence on. But they also admitted to this, but we can't find the body or we can't find this. We can't yeah. pin it to him. But at least he's in jail for life. Yeah. And, and it's like and his fantasies no. or her fantasies are like, ha. <laughs> You know, and they can, you know, I did it. They'll never find out. And they can just yeah. have that, that, that little, you know, it's victory awful. for themselves. It's just, it's so messed up. Um, But he's away. I can see it from that mm -hmm. perspective. It's better that he's away, not away. But also his behavior in the, um, in the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, in, during the trial was despicable. Yeah. He would smirk and he would um, laugh or look completely bored, that kind of stuff. So just absolutely, he just felt like he was going to get away with it and mm -hmm. that it was just all a big joke. Now, I just want to go back a little bit to uh, his his family. Um, he wasn't tight with his kids at all. Uh, Primrose uh, uh, and him had pretty much just a very distant relationship. But at one point during the investigation, before they arrested him, they were able to go uh, get a warrant to go in his house to search for documents because he was bringing stuff home and hiding them so he could cover up his stuff when they went into his house it was disgusting like absolutely filthy okay oh. like a couple other serial killers that we talked about yeah right so it was a friggin mess there were like unclean dishes all over the place dust um cats and piss um 
uh, oh, gross. just cockroaches. The place was an absolutely disgusting mess. So at his office, his office was perfect. Not like Gosnell. But when, he, but also too, he had people there that were, he surrounded himself with professionals as opposed to the other guy. Right. Because he knew at least to be like, okay, I have to give this impression of professionalism, mm-hmm. even though, you know, what he was doing. Um, yeah, his house was gross. And that's why I was saying about Primrose that she wasn't maybe such a, you know, uh, a catch because, yeah. And, you know, um, that that's just basically, so that there's that situation. So I find that very interesting um, that his home was just so gross. So, yeah, so that kind of just, um, well, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, there's just one more thing. He ended up committing suicide after he was um, found guilty. And he did it about, it was what, a couple, about two years later, 18 months later, because he was waiting for the insurance to go through so his wife could have money. So it's probably the only kind thing that he's ever done. I was just going to say, that's so left field. I would not expect yeah. that of him. Yeah. I would expect him to like make sure that nobody got that money if yeah. he wasn't going no. to. He actually put off killing himself so that wow. his his wife could get uh, insurance. So it's like the only thing, mm. and I know it, that is out of left field. It's like, what? what? That doesn't make any sense. But I don't doesn't know. I track. guess he had a little bit of loyalties for her somehow or had a little bit of fondness in there somewhere so yeah that's it that's sort of a a, a broad uh, paint stroke of of what happened or what he was all about so now okay so heather it's time for you to jump in i am so excited with how you're gonna break this down so okay here we go let's hope i don't disappoint i am you not a doctor disappoint. just remember that <laughs> of any kind the murdering kind or otherwise i'm not <laughs> yeah wink <laughs> <laughs> all right so this one was fun for me i know that sounds weird and really bad but it was fun no, I don't um mean. so <laughs> the why of it all and i got i got this little guy out she's got a dsm5 it's like i do i'm gonna it's be a getting bible one soon. for me <laughs> i've got one on order as well no it is a, it's like a bible yeah it is it's so interesting after you okay. told me about Sorry. yours i was like she's like i got it on amazon i'm like uh, click, 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 Yep. Amazon's been my savior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So he covered all of his tracks every step of the way. You kind of went into that. He would alter records, which they found out later because, hey, shipment, guess what? Timestamps. When you change something in the fucking database, it's going to show when you did it. Absolutely. She was dead three weeks ago. It shows like, up. What the hell? And here's the thing that yeah. he thought he was being so progressive getting a computer mm-hmm. system in. He's like, look oh, yeah. at me. I've got the best of the best. And he didn't even understand how computers worked. Like he didn't <laughs> yeah. understand the time stamping. So he screwed himself thinking he was so smart. If he would have just changed the time in the computer, then, you know, he could basically yeah. travel in time. <laughs> yeah, well, true. But he just, he just. He's an idiot. And that's where they, they're too smart for the, like they outsmart what they think is smart they're really not all that smart right their arrogance like it takes over something okay every time i talk about a new criminal i'm like man he's so dumb and i'm like wait what criminal is smart obviously none of them (laughs) yeah yeah they're more uh their their intelligent lies in their criminality right right so aside from altering records he would falsify death certificates basically you know saying they died because of x when it was really z you know he's the one who killed them he abused the trust that the patients had in him. As um, you talked about earlier, they all had a lot of trust in him. They really respected him. Um, and he abused that. He used that to his full advantage, especially when he was in their homes, like in their safe space. Yep. When in reality, that was his safe space because he could do whatever he wanted to them. Exactly. Um So as we talked, he probably left almost 300 families without loved ones. And I would... I would say that it was probably upwards of like 500 families, honestly. I agree with you 100% because just, I can tell you, I mean, I've said it again and again and again, but uh, doctors and nurses, healthcare uh, workers, are uh, professionals are the most dangerous. That's my opinion. Yeah. Because yeah. you are in a position of trust, so people want to trust you or do trust you. You have access to drugs that are readily ex- um, accessible. Mm-hmm you know more or less depending on what you use 
um, and you have the knowledge to work it, to mm -hmm. choose your patients, to um, to be able to hide it, and because most documentation starts and ends with a with a physician or a nurse, mm -hmm. they can cover it up really well. So they can go on like as long as you said like how many who knows how many he actually killed or tried to right and mm -hmm. and the whole trust thing like you know you go to a doctor because guess what you're not a doctor you don't know these different things about your body and these illnesses these sicknesses you're trusting that person in your most vulnerable time you want to get better you want to feel better and this person's supposed to help with that they're not yeah. supposed to abuse it and if he had a client um clientele of three thousand patients for say like mm -hmm. 10 years and that would be, you know, rotating. It's not, un I don't think yeah. it's unfair or out of the out of the realm to, to say that 500 is, you know, it seems astronomical and it is, but yeah. it doesn't seem to be out of the realm of possibilities that it could happen. For sure. Especially with, and we'll get into it, with the way he operated, his mindset is just his pure lack of remorse, empathy, anything human. <laughs> honestly he's like an animal <laughs> yeah he is an animal and also too if you feel comfortable with what you're doing you're not as noticed right yeah um mm -hmm. and so you just kind of look uh you know casual doing it and people aren't don't don't look at you and this is kind of yeah. what he became you know he, he was good at again until he wasn't but <laughs> uh, yep okay always good until they're not yeah um so so most of the explanations for why he killed his patients are probably too simple, and we've kind of talked about a few of them already, but uh, immediately what everybody thinks of when they try to justify his actions is, you know, there must be some childhood trauma, uh, that he must have mommy issues, quote unquote. I don't like saying that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so some questions to think about, though. I found this in a very interesting article, and of course, I'll send it all to Karen so that you guys can read it as well. Yeah. Um, so basically, did he witness his mother's suffering and believe that sudden death at the end of a trusted and friendly physician's syringe was a preferable option? Mm. And when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, that's kind of what palliative care is. Yeah. You know, you're in there, you know you're going to die, or at least your loved ones know that you're on your way. And palliative care is literally just comfort care until the end. And yeah. then you move to hospice. So it's yeah. it's basically exactly what that that question is. That's the answer, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, did he hate women? Most of his patients were women. Uh, and, and for reasons that we can't understand, maybe, but maybe we can. You know, his his relationship with his mom is a huge red flag for me. Yeah, I just think it was so, like, she smothered him. Mm -hmm. And he probably, like, he needed her attention, but he probably hated a lot of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, he yeah. he, he had to He had he to have, have it, it to thrive and to, to succeed, but, but it he also, hated like, it at the same time. smothered him as well. So you mm -hmm. could see why he would love and, and hate his mom because he needed it. Yeah. But he also, it was too much. Yep. And then when, so this is something I, I wrote a couple of notes down. This is the one thing I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. Um. So being that she had showered so much attention on him and in her dying, that was all taken away. Did he blame her? Mm -hmm. And is that where some of the, the hatred was like, you know, uh, to be coarse, to say, fuck you, you've given me this this whole time, mm -hmm. and now you, you went and died on me? Yeah, and you took it away from me, and I cared for you? Yeah. And now you just leave me? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, and like, um, I'm terrified that you're dying. <laughs> I want you to not suffer. The suffering is relieved by this guy. I am fucking confused. Do I want you to live? Do I want you to die? I need you, but it's yeah. been too much. So at the end of the day, the one person that, you know, created the monster also left the monster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his dad didn't really give a shit. His, he had no right. you know relationship with his siblings. He didn't have any friends to speak of. So he didn't have really any girlfriends and he meets a woman that he doesn't give a shit about, but it made him, you know, yeah. try to make him look, it was good for his image. So mm -hmm. I don't know. That's what I wanted to ask you. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I completely agree with all of that. And, and something too, I think that goes a little bit deeper is 
yeah, I feel like he is hurt and pissed that, you know, she created this relationship with him. She created him in this sense because, like, she's all he knows. And then she goes and dies on him. But at the same time, he feels like he's the one that was taking care of him all the time. But the doctor reaped the benefits because the doctor provided this little, you know, shot of magic juice that made her feel good and then she died and everything he did was for nothing so he did everything he could uh, to care for her but it did nothing so the the doctor doctor gets all the credit for the relief of 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 her pain and suffering yep and even though he's there he doesn't really get any credit for it exactly Ah. he's doing all the work he's caring for her nobody else is there his dad's not there his siblings aren't there to care for her She's all he has and knows. And then the hero yet, comes through the door. Yep. And then leaves. And then and leaves. Has, has nothing. He doesn't have to clean up anything. He doesn't have to care for her. Wow. Yep. Yeah. 100%. So I feel like there's definitely that connection. There's that hatred, that resentment. Yeah. If you will. Um, another question is, was he clinically insane? Was he terrifyingly sane? You know, those are two polar opposites, but could he be both? Possibly. I think you can in be certain can't you? aspects. I think he can be sane, but also no. What I think he was insane because I think he was terrifyingly sane because he knew mm-hmm. what he was doing. Yeah, so he did I, it I, with I, such calculation. I I think he was aware. People, okay. Here, here's my thing. People don't cover up tracks if they think they're doing something right. You don't cover up a track exactly. If you don't mm-hmm. see the track that need, you don't see a track that needs to be covered up, right? Right. Like if I mm-hmm. eat all the cookies, <laughs> and I think it's fine for me the the cookies, I just leave the container and the cookies all over the crumbs all over the place and be like, yeah, I ate them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. I like go out and buy more cookies, stick it in the container, and try to pass them off as home baked cookies. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> And say, I, don't I know, know somebody who did that and I'm like I can tell the difference yeah okay? yeah <laughs> so do you, you know what I'm saying though it's like it yes. kind of like that deal is that one I'm like yeah that's right I did it and the other one is mm-hmm. like um I'm gonna cover it up but it's obvious yeah. but do you know my point it's so I think he I, knew I what it. he was yep. doing he he just got I think he just stopped giving a shit he or yeah. he was so arrogant that it was like I've gotten away with this for so long I'm gonna get away Nobody's with it forever catch me. yeah so <laughs> My, I think terrifyingly sane. What do you think? I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I think I get into it a little bit more later, but yeah, I'm, I'm leaning more towards that one. Okay, cool. Um, so then another question, was he just obsessed with power? We've talked about the God complex. Mm-hmm. So power that was perhaps exemplified by his choosing the time and manner of his own death, not just his patients, but his own death. Like yes. you stated, he he calculated that timing perfectly to make sure that his wife would get the insurance money. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that aspect of it, but I knew that he chose when he wanted to die. You know, he had control to the very end. So control over Mm -hmm. money flow and control over his own death. Yeah. God, I would be so interested to hear from his kids, which obviously they probably don't ever want to talk about this with anyone, but Jesus, I'd be interested to see how they turned out. Yeah. I think one of them became a doctor. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. No, but if you guys ever run into a doctor shipman, don't fucking go. <laughs> no, Jesus. I think he was, I think he was fine. I don't know. I, 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 nothing's come out. So. <laughs> so uh, back to the mom thing. Just just one second here, because I I thought about this the other day and I was like, I don't think I added that. But this is super interesting. So like how you said she smothered him. You know, the word mother is in that. Oh, uh, I didn't, oh I there's didn't like know a that. connection mother. there. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think there's like a whole thing behind that, which maybe we could get into it another time. But have you ever realized that? Uh, so like mom and like basically any culture is almost the same word. So mom, mama, ma, mum. Yeah. Like they all start with that. Do you know why that is? No. Uh, it's because when a baby is a baby and they're trying to learn how to talk and they're trying to mimic their parents uh-huh. the first audible noises that they ever make is always like a mm, okay mm. so like it's just easy for them so like oh. mom is usually the first word anyway and it's just an easy thing for them to say yeah because mm versus duh yeah 
I don't so think any baby so learns like, how to say father right away. No. Could you imagine? No. Father. Six months old. <laughs> that's Mama. all you hear. Father. father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, who was that? <laughs> oh, I think it was baby Joseph. <laughs> like. <laughs> father. <laughs> father. And then they just start crying because they're a baby and they can't yeah. say actual words. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's that's <laughs> fascinating. So that's fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So. Um. So, yeah, so choosing his own death, we see that. Uh, many theories about serial killer behavior revolve around socioeconomic frustration, and we've talked about that before off mic, but we also kind of talked about it in Gosnell's case. Um, and that's sometimes referred to as homicidal protest. So sometimes serial killers will target people from powerless groups, so like minorities or people who are very poor, um, you know, people with addictions, uh, sex workers, you know, just just the you don't have money you don't have resources you do what you got to do to survive those are usually the targeted groups elderly um so other theories in his case he's addicted to murder which i think that just comes with it i don't think he just started killing because he was addicted to murdering people yeah i think it just kind of happened over time and Mm -hmm. and as he got better quote unquote at it he just that was the addiction he just continued doing it yeah Mm mm-hmm um maybe simply he wanted to steal from the victims jewelry was stolen from some of the victims i don't think this one's a relevant theory in this case i think that if that was the motive for him then he would have had just like an entire house full of things you would have seen tracks where he maybe sold it or used it or gave it to somebody i was wondering though if he was keeping them as trophies and and that's that very well could be but that wouldn't be the most to me, at least, a serial killer wouldn't uh, kill somebody just to have that item as a trophy. Okay, they usually so, get the trophy after they kill them gotcha. just to remember the death. Okay, yeah. So I mean, that wasn't that wasn't what what drove it. It was fine, you know, maybe right. financial and maybe also like, yeah, you know, maybe yeah. not necessarily a trophy financial gain, but yeah, yeah. And I think I see I see it a lot, at least, like with serial killers that you know they they want to remember that kill. Yeah. So they take something you know, sentimental, and I keep yeah. using air quotes for you guys, yeah. but sentimental to them because they can look at it and be like, yeah, I remember that kill. I remember I was here yeah. and I did this and then this is how I did it and this is how he or she acted. While I it was maybe personally screamed. on them as opposed to like being in a jewelry box or something like that. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, okay, cool. Yep. So it just kind of reminds them of them. Yeah. Um, so, or he had a particular contempt for women. We've talked about this a lot, and I don't think it was women per se. I think it was women who reminded him of his mother. Yeah. They were all elderly. Um, I don't think any of his victims actually, uh, you know, uh, confirmed victims or otherwise. I don't think any of them were under the age of like 49. No. So they were they all were. up there. There was a few uh, that were, say, between say that yeah like 50 to 60 ish but the majority of them were 70 plus yeah yeah yeah. and it's you know and there's several reasons for that it the whole mother aspect i think is a huge part of it but also elderly population easy they're already terminally ill or they're already having some type of issue so it'd be easier for him to one kill them but also to cover it up to hide it as you know natural causes or she was already terminally ill yep. so it was her time you know that kind of and thing. that power over life and death right exactly because he gets to choose yeah they're dying but they're not dead yet but i can make them dead right now yeah so i am going to end this episode right here there is so much more to talk about heather gives such a fascinating outlook on shipment and we have such a great discussion so I think it really needs to be broken up into two because I think you'd probably fall asleep after two hours. So <laughs> anyway, so I'm going to end it here. And there's a couple things that I want to say. I want to thank Caitlin's 13 for the wonderful review. Thank you so much. I love these reviews, guys. Keep them coming. It means a lot, of course. I know I keep saying it, but it's because I mean it. Um, I love the reviews and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Also, I want to give a big shout out to my new Patreon supporters, Sonia McDonald, Lisa Tate, and Sarah Winterstein. Thank you so much. It helps out a ton. 
and I know in this day and age, money is tighter and harder to come by. So um, it's it's a lot that you're helping me out that way. And if you're interested in becoming a patron on Patreon, um, there are different perks that you can get in different price ranges. And part of it is extra episodes. I have been bringing out or be bringing out a few more Suture Room episodes. And also some swag giveaways. And depending on which tier you pick, there you get some swag with it. And I also leave it open to the patrons to also let me know what they'd like to hear more of. So I have a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. Also, there will be links to what uh, Heather um, uh, referenced and in, in some of her findings and her research. And I just, uh, it means so much to me that you guys are still listening in this crazy world we're in. COVID is still going strong, but uh, together we can fight it and, um, and keep each other safe and sound. And that's the most important thing. So let's take care of ourselves and take care of each other. And most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. To me, I didn't think she was a runaway. It was more as a missing person than a runaway. Many cases are investigated and solved quickly. The guilty arrested and put behind bars. But some cases are more complicated. So then I, I listened to the 911 call and the 911 operator was given instructions to tamper with the, with the crime scene. Some cases linger for months or years even. It hurts to remember him not being here. <laughs>